Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Alexander Schmieding and you're listening to From Vision to Creation, a podcast that dives deep into the minds of visionaries who pursued their passions and made their visions a reality. On each episode, we will have conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, industry leaders, and business owners, and we'll explore the mindset that fueled their desire to take their dreams from vision to creation. This podcast is brought to you by Proper Placement, a full-service marketing agency that can help promote your business through social media marketing, paid advertising, email marketing, and more. Find out how we can help grow your business at properplacement.com. At Proper Placement, we don't have clients. We have partners. Welcome to another captivating episode of From Vision to Creation. I'm your host, Alexander Schmieding, and today we have the distinct privilege of introducing a true luminary in the world of classical music, soprano Amanda Boyd. Heralded as one of Britain's rising stars, Miss Boyd's journey through the realm of opera and performance has been nothing short of awe-inspiring. Amanda's extraordinary musical odyssey began at the prestigious Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London, where she not only honed her prodigious talents, but also secured the esteemed Susan Longfield Prize. Amanda's relentless pursuit of excellence didn't end there. She continued her training at the National Opera Studio in London, supported by Friends of Covent Garden and the Foundation for Sports and the Arts. Throughout her formative years, Amanda had the privilege of being mentored and guided by luminaries of the classical world. Their influence, coupled with Amanda's dedication and talent, laid the foundation for her remarkable career. With a rich history of solo concerts, Amanda continues to captivate audiences around the world. Under Boyd's song, Amanda continues to keep the art of song repertoire alive, regularly performing recitals with piano and chamber groups in concert halls, private homes, and galleries both in the United States and Europe. Join us as we delve deeper into the life and artistry of soprano Amanda Boyd, a true virtuoso whose vocal prowess and passion for music continue to leave a mark on the world's most prestigious stages. Well, Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an, it really is an honor. And um, you have had such an amazing career, have accomplished so much. Um, and I really just want to start at the beginning. I know that you trained at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London. And yes, is this so. where you first fell in love with, um, with music? Actually, no. I think it dates back to when I was a little girl. I always really loved music and loved to sing. Um, but I didn't, I was incredibly shy and I didn't really have the courage to sing in front of anybody. And, um, I went to boarding school when I was about 11 and I took piano lessons and violin lessons and, um, I, but still I didn't sing. And, um, it wasn't until I was about 14 or 15 when I was in, my violin lesson at a different school. I was at a day school in London at this point. And I I had sort of got tired of the violin. I loved the violin. I loved music. I loved all kinds of music. 
And I went into my violin lesson and, you know, typical teenager, I was about 14 or 15. And I said to my violin teacher, I really want to sing. And she rolled her eyes and she was like, oh, here we go. You know, because most <laughs> teenagers, you know, they, they want to give up their classical instrument. And, um, and she said, okay, uh, sing me a scale. You know, she was sort of humoring me. And I really had never sung in front of anybody. I just sort of in my heart knew that I wanted to sing. And so I sang her a scale. And you know that cartoon character of someone sort of drop, literally dropping their jaw to yes. the floor? Well, that's what happened. I mean, literally her jaw dropped. I've never seen it since, <laughs> that reaction. <laughs> and um, she said, Amanda, where have you been hiding? <laughs> I've always been super tiny and I was I had four foot nothing at that time. And she said, um, you have to sing. You have to give up the violin today <laughs> and join the choir. And so I, I joined the choir and I stood at the back and... Um, I, it wasn't for a little while that the finally the the choir mistress discovered that it was me with a loud voice at the back of the choir. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So your your first teacher was like, "Okay, Amanda, now you're not allowed to touch the violin. Yeah. You have to sing now." Yeah, and she said, <laughs> "I'm not a voice teacher, but I will teach you the songs. I'll get you through the exams. I'll enter you into the competitions." And it was sort of that was the real sort of beginning. And and when when I was in the choir. Um, you know, Miss, it was Miss Brown was her name, the, the name of the, um, choir mistress. She, she kept saying, who's that loud voice, you know, coming from the back and the the girl next to me, Teresa was her name. It's so funny how we remember these people. She put up her hand and as if to kind of claim the voice. And I was very happy about that because I really didn't want to, you know, take any limelight. And, um, Teresa was sick one day. And that's when I got discovered. And, and so my choir mistress came over to me and she said, Amanda, you have to sing the solo in the next co co uh, co uh, concert. And, and that's sort, sort of how it sort of began. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. So, so, yeah. much, so this, so this, uh, this other student is trying to steal the limelight yeah. and then it turns out, you know, that it's you with the loud yeah. voice. And then after, after that school, that was sort of a very academic, um, school. I, I, I applied to a boarding school, another boarding school, which was very artistic called Beedale School, which was in Hampshire in England. And, um, and I sort of, that was my real opening into performing and singing and, you know, sort of coming out as it were. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to, you know, sing all the solos and, and that's when I had a really proficient voice teacher who really took me under her wing and introduced me to, classical music in in the vocal you know world which was a whole other world from classical music that I'd been exposed to and actually I always loved jazz and blues and you know I was sort of in London where everything was sort of super funky and cool and hip and I went clubbing and you know classical music was definitely not cool but you know I got around that somehow <laughs> 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 and, and you say that you were shy at the mm -hmm. beginning. How long did it take you to not be shy when you were when you started performing solos? Well, this it's really that's a really interesting question because I don't think I ever really got over that shyness it deep down inside. But I was able somehow to find tools to, through my music and through being a character, especially, you know, when I was in operas to sort of overcome that and sort of morph into 
the the poetry or the story or the character or whatever it was and so I don't think you ever get rid of that shyness deep down it's always there um but you know I've never I've never sort of incorporated that very gregarious opera singer um stereotypical image that you might think that most opera singers have and some do you know I've met them where they're incredibly confident on the outside and very loud and (laughs) you know but I I sort of just I just found ways to sort of overcome that and um you know it I certainly have suffered from stage fright throughout my career at different points um worse than some some other times but and that kind of goes into the the aspect of shyness but you you just sort of deal and it's I, I you know I've met some other performers and I've heard interviews with actors and musicians who interestingly more more often than not have been shy at some point in their lives or continue to be you know don't necessarily want to be the center of attention but then they get on the stage and it's this whole other animal it's just this love with the theater and being in this world that's fantasy and it's just it's just a wonderful feeling of and also being able to um share with an audience that's bigger than the room you know it's just a it's a wonderful feeling and when you so and you you mentioned that you um you have several ways that you overcame this shyness do you Mm -hmm. mind sharing some of those methods you just kind of throw yourself throw yourself out there and then once you get started it kind of dissipates or yeah. w- what, what methods do you use so for me it's really studying the so if I'm doing a recital of, of art songs um, it's really studying the poetry and getting into the words and the, the the expression of the music and really sort of embodying the essence of music and trying really hard to take your ego out of out of the picture so it's not about you necessarily but it's about the composer and I had I was really fortunate during my um early life if you like um where I was I was at um the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and I had this experience where I did an audition for um for for a bursary for, for sponsorship and on the panel was um, D- Dame Janet Baker, who's a very famous mezzo-soprano in England and in the world. I mean, she's she's world-renowned. And um, I did the audition. And the following day, I I had a little note in my pigeonhole at, at the Guildhall. And it said, please see the principal. And I thought I'd done something horribly wrong. <laughs> I thought I was in trouble. And I went to the office of this um, the principal. And he said here's Dame Janet Baker's number. She wants you to call her. Oh my God. And I was completely blown away. I mean, this is, she's, you know, a legend. She's up there um, as one of the top 10 opera singers ever to have lived, you know. And what did you say to the principal when I he just casually just, said that to I you? I was just gobsmacked. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was, I think I couldn't even say anything. Um, and, he, and I looked at him in, in sort of absolute shock. And he gave me this look as if to say, you know, it's okay. She just, she really wants to, um, talk with you and, and, uh, she she was quite taken with your voice. So, anyway, I um, I called her and we. Long story short, we um, developed this wonderful relationship. And one of the things that she said to me 
through because she coached me and I would take my my pianist at the time my, one of my closest friends and and he would come with me and we'd have these incredible sessions with her and she would have me sing and completely free of charge never charged wow. me wow and uh one of the things that she said which really helped me with regards to your question which is a very long way around of coming to your question of overcoming shyness was that you know as an artist as a musician as a singer you are a slave to the composer and and it really resonated with me and i think that sometimes we forget as performers um that you know there's something larger than just us and mm. it's it's the music and it's the composer and the composer started first you know he was the one that gave us this music to sing and it's very humbling and strangely you would think that that would make me more more shy <laughs> because then <laughs> i would retreat and be completely overwhelmed by the fact that the composer is much greater than you but it was it's it it sort of humbled me in a way that I was able to put my own um, insecurities aside about my my personal ego, and then and then just sort of morph into what I needed to do as an artist, and and that was the differentiation. And the other thing that she really helped me with was because I think you know, especially in I mean in every profession, but in in my business, it's so cutthroat, and people are, you know so quick to criticize and you really have to sort of you know have this armor of confidence and um resilience and um she just she just gave me that sort of confidence to just go for it and no matter what if you work really hard at your craft and you keep practicing and you keep you know really honing what you're doing um as an artist no one can get through that you know no one can take she basically gave me that knowledge that no one can take that away from you you know that's your power and I think that sort of secret little knowledge that what I do and what I can do for for myself is different from other singers you know no better or no worse but it's my little sort of power that's amazing that's and it's so beautifully put and you, so how old are you at this point when you're, one of your idols is mentoring you? Yeah. So let me think. I think I was 24. I was still really young. Of course, I felt like I was, you know, mature and old <laughs> at that age. But yeah, I was, I was young. I was in my postgrad at the, at the Guildhall. I was doing a postgrad year. Yeah. And, and at this point, were you considering pursuing music as a career for the rest of your life? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was very ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. I, I mean, I wasn't really very good at anything else, I don't think. But I mean, I really, that was my sort of passion. And I knew my father is a film director. And um, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be an actress before I could really sort of, before I really could put it together that singing was something that I could do as a profession. Um, I wanted to be an actress and he discouraged me from it. And he said, you know, I don't think that's, that's a good idea. You have to be super passionate about it. You have to, it has to be your whole life. And, and then when I discovered that singing was something that I could do, um, I knew that I could sort of put the, put the two together, you know, the acting and the singing. And, um, 
so so yeah it was a passion from early on and that's that's what i wanted to do you yeah. you literally read my mind because i was thinking and funny enough in opera there's a huge acting element in it as well so that's very much very, yeah very cool not just in opera but i think in all facets of performing as a singer you know you really have to sort of even if you're singing i do a lot of chamber work now that i'm a little bit older i don't do as much opera and even if you're doing a song, you know, you really embody the personality of that song and that character in the song and that poem and, you know, every piece that you sing, it's it's about performing um, a, a character, I think, really. And how do you how do you prepare yourself mentally and emotionally to embody these characters? Um, that's a really good question. I think what I do initially is, um, get to know the piece musically in my, you know, just kind of feel the rhythm of the piece. Um, and then, you know, some people have different methods. For me, it's, I really want to connect with, with the, the music, you know, and, and sometimes that will be an abstract feeling. So I'll just really kind of connect with the, the rhythms and the, and the harmonies and the melody. Um, and then, you know, then come the words and then you sort of, you know, create a, a relationship with, with what the composer is trying to convey and the poet and the librettist, whatever. Um, and then the, the character for me, you know, it's, it's so interesting because a character can have so many different forms. Um, and, and it also depends on what the director wants if you're working with a director. Um, but for me, when I'm learning a role or I'm learning a piece, I do some research on what contextually was, was happening. So you look back at the history of that time of, you know, a piece was written in 1832, you know, what was going on politically, who were the artists of that time, um, you know, what was, what was happening socially, um, which country are you in, you know, all those, those kind of contexts for the character. And then you sort of form the character within that format of within that sort of world that you create historically. Um, and then you try and bring that into today. You know, what would you do as that character today? Um, it's a really fun process. Yeah, that sounds, I feel like getting to know the character that you are going to embody is probably just as, almost just as fun as actually doing it because Absolutely. it's a, a total process of uh, discovery. Yeah. Um, and can you recall a part that you auditioned for that you really wanted and got Yes. <laughs> I mean, most. Um, there was one specific role that um, I really, really wanted and got. Um, I mean, there were many. Um, but one particularly, and it, it was sort of a, a challenge because I'd worked with the conductor before on, um, I was playing Romilda in Zaxi's by Handel. And he had told me that he was, um, holding auditions for the Covent Garden Festival. And I was, I was young. This was at the time when I was working with Janet Baker. And um, 
he was sort of talking to me about all these different sopranos that could be good for this role. And, and I was thinking, gosh, I think I could be really good at this, you know? Um, but I sort of had this bee in my bonnet that, well, why should he ask me about all these other sopranos when I'm right here and I could do this? Mm. And it was Ginevra in Ariodante, which is another Handel opera. And it was for the Covent Garden Festival. It was very um, prestigious, uh, incredible festival um, affiliated with the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden in London. And, and, you know, it had been an opera house that I'd visited my whole life um, as a kid. And so I worked so hard on this audition and generally, you know, auditions and I don't have a good relationship. It's sort of auditions really play into that shyness that we were talking about earlier where, you know, you are judged, you're in front of people who are definitely judging you you and you really can't get away from that and you know people have told me all sorts of ways of of overcoming that but it's it it's a very nerve-wracking experience for me to be in front of a panel in an audition much better in front of thousands of people in an opera um or hundreds even but uh, so I was so determined to get this role and I worked so hard and I worked with Janet Baker and she sort of coached me through and she said, you know, don't let these people on the panel get to you. Just just sing the character. And she really worked on the getting that character. I loved that character, Ginevra. I thought she was such a fascinating um, woman, young, young lady. And um, so I did the audition and the conductor called me. And this is somebody who had sort of been giving me a bit of a hard time about the fact that maybe I couldn't do this role and had been, you know, playing the game of t- talking to me about all these other sopranos who would be perfect for the role. <laughs> <laughs> and he called me and he said, you've got the role. <laughs> and I just want to let you know that that's the best audition I have ever, ever seen anyone do in my life. So I was just thrilled obviously and so I did the role and um it was a success and that was that was that was a good story (laughs) oh my gosh that's amazing (laughs) and you know what what really fascinates me is when especially when you're doing something you love there's obviously a lot of fear in it because and especially when you're shy because you're like thinking I want this so bad and I want to do such a good job and I don't want to let anyone down and I want to do the best that I can um but it's interesting how even though there there can be tremendous amount, a tremendous amount of fear when pursuing something you're passionate about. The passion is stronger. Absolutely. And, and you go for it. Absolutely. I mean, it really comes to the fore. If you really want something in life, you just, it, something takes over. And I think that's the same for everything, for anything that you're doing, you know. Absolutely. And so you graduated after you was this after you graduated from music school? Yeah. So I did, um, I was lucky enough. I, I, I spent four years as an undergrad at the Guildhall. And then I did a, a year postgrad. And after my postgrad year, I went out and, and auditioned. And I was, you know, it was back, back then, we weren't hearing about auditions online, you know, we weren't getting texts from people we that didn't exist. This is in the mid nineties. And so everything was word of mouth. 
and one job would lead to another. So I was really out there um, singing and auditioning and, and very fortunately got amazing roles. You know, the first role that I got was Michaela in, in Carmen. Um, and then I sang Adina in Elisia d'Amore. And I was, it was just a very wonderful experience. And um, I spent two years sort of in the field auditioning and, and getting roles. And, and one job would lead to another. And so I didn't really have to do that much with regards to selling myself. And I didn't have an agent, didn't have a manager. I managed myself. And, you know, I was in London, so everyone sort of knew everybody. It was quite a small world. And um, after the two years of being out there, I was the lead in, an, in a film, in an opera film that was directed by my father, which was another audition story, if you want to hear, that was Please. very arduous. And my father was adamant that... I was not to get the role under nepotistic circumstances. Um, in England, we're phobic of nepotism. It is something that people really, really look down upon. And so my father was sort of quite, even though in his heart of hearts, he wanted me to do this role. And he sort of based his whole um, project around me doing it. It was Lucia, Lucia de Lamamon. I was incredibly young. And, um, I, he put me through the ringer. I auditioned four times. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it was, uh, it was arduous. And uh, it was another story of me absolutely wanting the role. And, um, I had to sort of divorce my, f myself from the idea that my father was my father and that he was, he was a director, but he gave me a harder time than he would have than he did with other sopranos who were auditioning at the time um so i did that and um just after i think it was after i filmed that that um or maybe it was before i can't remember the the chrono chronolog chronological order of, of it all but i went to a really prestigious um opera studio called the national opera studio in london i think it was before i did the film and uh, they called me at the time and said, we'd love you to come and audition. And I had tonsillitis the week before. And I said, there's no way I can audition. Um, oh, my gosh. And so they said, we don't care. You know, we've heard about you. We want you to come and audition. And normally you have to do a round of three auditions for this place. It was really prestigious. It was such an honor that they'd even called me. And uh, so I went into the audition and they knew that I'd been sick, but you know, you never use that as an excuse. You just go and you do the audition. And uh, I had to stop in the second piece that I was singing. I did the first piece fine. And then second, I was exhausted. I just, I wasn't really fully recovered. And, I, you know, I walked along, it was in one of those old churches and I walked along the middle of the aisles and I just wanted the world to swallow me up. I was like, oh my <sighs> God, there's no way that they're going to take me and they did wow yeah oh my gosh so i so i did a year at the national opera studio which was really hard work i we would work you know from nine until six every day with different conductors and coaches from all over the world teaching you and that must have been straining on your vocal cords yeah it was it was really really hard work um i learned a lot um 
and I I learned how to really be tough because um, you would have you you would sing one line of uh, an aria or a piece or, a, or an ensemble piece and then literally an hour later you'd have a different conductor come in and tell you to sing it completely differently (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was but it was a good experience and we did this big showcase at the end and you know i from that i i got some amazing opportunities after that um and what opportunities came after that after your 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 year there so um what was interesting was that i sort of um forayed into a lot of contemporary music and that I, I didn't sing contemporary music for that showcase, but I got a very glowing review um, from that showcase, um, which I wasn't expecting. And after that, I was asked to sing with the um, Opera North, which is this wonderful opera company in in England, in the north of England, in Leeds, and. They sort of, they gave me this, um, they opened this door, I would say, into the contemporary music world, the new music world, you know, the, the music that was being commissioned today. And it really opened up this, and I didn't think that I was musically um, equipped to, to, to be able to learn incredibly complicated music written you know here and now today uh it's sort of like doing maths or math as you say here in america (laughs) um you know you have to really count your rhythms and figure out you know what how everything's adding up and it's it's a much different discipline from say learning Handel or mozart or donizetti or verdi or puccini whatever um and so after that experience, after that year, I, I sort of went into another world of opera and music, which was really exciting. And I was working with composers and new directors who had come from the theater. This was when theater directors really were new to opera. And Opera North and, and the National Opera Studio those those two places really sort of gave me that cushion to venture into those worlds which were it was just so dynamic and so exciting and so I was sort of adding another layer to my other otherwise you know fairly classical traditional way of singing um so that it opened a whole other world up to me, which was really exciting. And in London at that time, there was a, a lot of new um, experimental theatre going on with regards to opera. And that's sort of now the norm. A lot of theatre directors are now really um, in the opera world. Um, but then it was very new and and very it's just thrilling it was very exciting I loved it and I I now still sing a lot of contemporary music and commission works and um I I find that that's sort of a world that is I don't want to say more dynamic because don't get me wrong I love opera and I love the traditional operas that we all know and love but 
there's something about learning a piece that's written today that no one's heard before mm. and you're working with the composer and you're you know really you're with them live and you're you're talking about ideas of how to convey a, a word or a nuance or a rhythm and um it's it's just so thrilling i love it I've never considered that before, but I, I see exactly what you're talking about. Because when you're performing classical music, you have at least 10, you know, artists who have done it in the past that you can listen to and draw inspiration from. Whereas contemporary music, you are inventing the song in a way because you're Absolutely. putting your own spin on it with yeah. the help of the composer. But still, it's your voice and yeah. your take on the on the word. Yeah. Um, what was the biggest lesson you learned about yourself and your career when moving into contemporary music? Because I, 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 as you mentioned, I know it's scary because it's something totally new. I think, um, I think I learned that I needed to be less rigid. And I think I learned that there was a certain amount of freedom that maybe I was lacking in my approach to myself as a as an artist. Because with contemporary music, even though obviously the composer wants specific notation, there's a certain amount of freedom that you have when you're singing a new piece that maybe they would have felt in, you know, the early 18th century that you know, we, I think you, you, like you say, you've heard so many performances or so many performers singing the same piece of, of a Mozart opera or a Mozart aria or whatever it is. And that, that sort of, um, I don't want to say fragility, but there's a certain amount of, um, well, it's certainly spontaneity that I think that I had lacked before. Um, you know, I was sort of very um, hard on myself about my discipline and my technique and how everything had to be in a certain way and um, which obviously you have to be as an opera singer. But when you're doing a lot of contemporary music, some of the intervals aren't necessarily that easy and you know a composer will ask you to do crazy things for example I was doing a new piece um and I had to cartwheel on the stage and then sing oh my gosh <laughs> so I cartwheeled and I was a little imp I had this crazy wig with horns <laughs> on my head and um a bodysuit and um I cartwheeled and then sang and you know certainly then you wouldn't have you wouldn't have been asked to do that if you were singing you know me me <laughs> <laughs> you know so I think there was just this this discovery for me of myself where I I discovered that I I had this sort of freedom in me that I could express and I think that was what I learned I I love that because I think that Sometimes people feel when they're pursuing something that they feel passionate about, sometimes people think this is feeling scary. This is challenging. Maybe it's not for me, mm -hmm. but really I think the opposite is true. I think that 
if you are feeling challenged and a little scared, I think it's probably because you're doing it. And most importantly, though, you're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. The passion has to be there. But if you're feeling those emotions, I think it's actually a confirmation that you are, in fact, doing the right thing. Absolutely. And I think that's also a lot to do with trust. Mm. And I think with contemporary music, especially, there's a period of time where you really don't know if you're getting the music. It feels so abstract. It really feels like you've been given this big blank canvas and you're just throwing splodges of different colored paint on the canvas with no direction or form because you've got no reference and so there's this 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 time where you are living in this very sort of strange world of of notes and rhythms and nothing feels like it's coming together so you just have to trust yourself it's a big trust journey and then there comes this moment where suddenly it makes sense and it might be the first day of the performances <laughs> <laughs> or it might be hopefully a couple of months before that where it just everything clicks and you realize exactly what the composer wants it, it, this is so ref <laughs> refreshing is not the word this is so inspiring and so relatable because you're talking about preparing for a performance and, you know, specifically with music in mind. But I think that this applies to people in almost every industry. You know, you so sometimes things feel like they're not making sense, but then you continue down your path and then suddenly everything comes together and starts to work. Um, and, absolutely. And like you mentioned, unfortunately, some days it's the day of the performance. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you brought up trust because I think that whether you're an artist, you're an entrepreneur or even a, a politician in some cases or just involved in any type of social cause, especially when you know that there is a challenge ahead of you and there's a lot that you need to accomplish and do. Um, it is a little daunting to mm -hmm. travel down that path. So mm -hmm. trust is so important. Um, how do you, can, can you talk to, can you talk about a time where you had to trust the process and it worked out? I would say that that's probably been my whole life as Love a that. performer. Yeah. I think that every single project that I've ever taken, I go through a certain amount of insecurity of questioning and doubt you know you there's the imposter syndrome where you think gosh am i really up to this can i do this is this something that the audience is going to want to hear me do this you know and i would say that bar none every project that i have done I've had that, those doubts. And so you have to just dig deep and really look at trusting yourself foremost, you know, really trusting yourself that you could do this project, whatever it is, even if it's something you don't like, but you have to do it because you've been asked to do it. And you, you go through that process of um, really sort of, gaining confidence through your craft. I think 
when I've trusted myself the least has been when I haven't had the time to really pour myself into the project that I'm working on. And I've, ha- I've been asked to do something very quickly. Actually, that's not true. I'm contradicting myself because I was asked to do um, the day of the performance. I was singing Mar- in Maria in West Side Story, actually locally at PS21 in Chatham, New York. Um, this was back when it was a tent and the building hadn't been built yet. It was this wonderful performing arts, um, center in upstate New York. And I had been asked to sing Maria in West Side Story. They were doing this whole Bernstein evening. So I was singing Maria. And then in the second half, um, it was Candide, Cunegonde and Candide. And, um, that was being sung by another soprano. And this is a funny story. That day, the day of the first performance, I got a call from the conductor and she, she told me that the other soprano had got sick. And the aria in Candide is notoriously difficult. And I had never learned it. And she said, can you sing it? And I said, I've never sung it. And she said, well, okay, I'll have to ask some other people and see if they're available to come from New York or whatever. And this is, you know, late morning, the performance is that day. And she said, why don't you have a little look at it? So I looked at it. I thought, yeah, no way. I mean, it's really difficult. And she gave me a call about an hour or two later. And she said, Amanda, I'm really sorry, but I have to ask you to do this. You've got to do this. And again, this is when trust comes in, right? I I think this was sort of a slight craziness on my part that I actually said yes to it. And all the other singers in the show couldn't believe that I said yes. So I spent two hours with a coach and I went through um, Glitter and Be Gay, which is notoriously difficult. And I, I... was basically sight reading it. I was learning it on the spot and an, uh, a duet that I had to learn and an ensemble piece as well as singing Maria, which was a whole other thing, right? And Bernstein's not the easiest of composers. You think that he would be easy because, you know, we all know and love his, his music, but he's tricky. He's a <laughs> tricky composer. And anyway, it was being broadcast live on NPR I don't know how I did it, but I think it was trust. I went on stage and I sang that aria. Basically, I was sight reading the piece. Um, (laughs) And it went really, really well. Wow. And it was one of those, again, life lessons in, in that sort of trusting that you can do this, knowing that you can do this, even though the conductor had basically not given me much of a choice (laughs) but um yeah I've I've had a few moments in my my career where I've I've really had to sort of put everything aside and just know deep down that I can do this and and I love that story because I think it perfectly embodies the example of when sometimes you feel like life is setting you up to fail you have to sing you know this aria that you've never learned before in a few hours but then really it's setting you up to just surprise yourself and 
really blow blow your own mind. Yeah, I totally surprised myself. I went beyond beyond even any uh, hope or dream that I could do something like that. And and I think that I I would say for myself that every performance that I've done, I would say that um, my goal is to feel at the end that I've gone beyond what I could possibly imagine I could do, you know. So it's it's a it's an interesting process. And I know I know trust is a huge lesson that you've learned throughout your career. Mm-hmm. And in addition to trust, is are there any other big lessons you've learned that maybe you wished you had it, it maybe you wish you had known earlier on? I think um I think I would if I were to go back I would tell my younger self not to worry so much about fitting into a mold and not to worry so much about what you're doing at a certain stage. Because I think that every profession has its ideals of that we all have to live up to of, you know, well, you have to do a certain thing at this age. And if you haven't done that at that age, then, you, you know, you can't go back and do this and that and this, you know. So there's this sort of um, formulaic path that that you think you're supposed to walk along. And I didn't do that formula. I took a very different path. I did so many different things in my career. Um you know, not to mention the fact that I sang headlined as a the lead singer for The Art of Noise, the pop band, you know, toured America as the as a classical singer. And and rather than be insecure about the fact that I wasn't fitting into a mold, I think I would have told myself at the time, it's okay, because what you're doing is so you know, out of the box and and fascinating and interesting and fun and just enjoy that rather than worry so much about, you know, what you should be doing. Does that make sense? That's perfect. It makes perfect sense. And and actually, it's interesting that you say that you... that you phrased it that way, because I really believe that that's what I needed to, that's what I need to hear right now at at this particular point in my career, just not worry so much, just continue Mm -hmm. to move forward, do a good job and not get stuck in that frame of mind. Absolutely. At any age, at any stage and be, as long as you're doing the work and even if you're not doing the work, that's okay. But if you're doing the work and you're passionate still about what you're doing, if you really love what you're doing, then there's, there's nothing to question, you know? And I, I think that when, when we're younger, we somehow have that doubt, you know, but if, if you just continue really loving what you're doing and there, look, there are certain stages in my life where I haven't loved what I'm doing and, I've, you know, it's been a struggle, but you go back to that in a way, those struggles are there for good reasons, because you can't 
you can't grow without the struggle. It's like I always say to my students, because I have a studio of, of um, a teaching studio, and I always say to them, make as many mistakes as you possibly can, because the only way you're going to learn is by making those mistakes. There's no such thing as perfect. And that's so important for people to hear, especially nowadays, because I feel like we're, we've just gotten so used to having instant gratification, you know, in so, in so many different aspects of our lives. And I think that a lot of people think that you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to, and I'm, and I'm sure this does happen for some, but a lot of people think that you're supposed to just graduate from school and then have this explosive career immediately yeah. um, without experiencing any setbacks or failures. But mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. You only you can only learn from making mistakes because yeah. that leaves it that makes that leaves an impact. Or, excuse me. That makes an impact. Yeah. And, and I think that is a big problem with uh you know, with, with the instant grat gratification is that maybe people don't think that they have to work as hard and, and start from, from scratch, you know, you have to do the lesser jobs and the smaller roles and the, I mean, the covers and the, and, you know, it's tough, but you have to keep doing it and believe that, that that's what you want to do but you have to really really want it though mm -hmm. i was fearlessly ambitious quietly <laughs> you wouldn't have known it necessarily on the outside but i was i really wanted to perform that was my life and um and it is now still i i can't imagine life without performing still i still have some years in me to perform and i love singing chamber music and, and i still perform um but that sort of intense ambition when you're young it's such a refreshing thing to have you know it's what it's what you need otherwise you wouldn't do it <laughs> and and what, what advice would you give to anybody who is pursuing a life in the arts, whether it be singing, acting, painting, anything, um, that is, that, that feel like that is, it is truly their passion, but maybe it's a little difficult or they're struggling at the moment. I would say live through the struggle and try every day to practice your craft because it doesn't matter whether you're being published tomorrow or singing in a big premiere of a of a show or you know acting a huge role in a movie if you're practicing your craft every day and really putting time into that then if you're good or even slightly good you don't even have to be that brilliant you know but you're really putting in the work then your time will come and I think you just have to have again it's that trust and it's that belief um, and it's that perseverance I think is so important and it's the craft because we're craftspeople as artists that's what we are you know we we have a craft and it's our responsibility to put in, even if it's 10 minutes a day, I always say to my students, it doesn't matter if you're singing in the car or 
you know, doing some lip trills around the kitchen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever it is, five minutes a day, something, but it's consistency. That's beautifully put. And, and Amanda, where can people find you? Where can people see what you're doing and um, listen to your listen um, to and view your work? Well, I'm not very good at publicity. <laughs> I'm terrible at um, my keeping my website up to date. But um, my website is amandaboyd.com and you can look on my website. And then I have, if you want to email me, you can get information about what I'll be doing coming up. Perfect. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for your time today. It was so lovely getting to meet you and learning more about your career. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> As we draw the curtain on this episode of From Vision to Creation, we are left in awe of the remarkable journey and boundless talent of soprano Amanda Boyd. Her dedication to her craft from the hallowed halls of the Guildhall School of Music and Drama to the grand stages of the world's most esteemed opera houses has left a permanent mark on the world of classical music. Amanda's ability to seamlessly traverse the realms of both traditional and contemporary music is a testament to her versatility as an artist. Whether performing timeless classics like Mozart's La Contessa or pushing the boundaries with world premieres like Deidre Gribbon's Hey Persephone, she continues to captivate audiences with her enchanting voice and unwavering passion. Her journey serves as an inspiration to aspiring musicians and lovers of music alike. As we conclude another episode of From Vision to Creation, we are left with a profound appreciation for Amanda's artistry and a deep sense of gratitude for sharing her incredible story with us today. We look forward to witnessing her continued rise as one of Britain's brightest stars in the world of opera and classical music. I strongly encourage you to visit her website at www.amandaboyd.com to learn more about her career and listen to her enchanting voice. I will be including the link to her website in the episode notes. Thank you for joining us on this enlightening voyage through the world of Amanda Boyd's artistry. May her story continue to echo in your own creative endeavors, inspiring you to turn your vision into reality and your creations into timeless works of art. Until we meet again on From Vision to Creation, keep dreaming, keep creating, and keep believing in the extraordinary power of your own artistic journey.